For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the ESV translation, and I can never get tired or bored with that text. (laughs) For as many, or I should say, as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so too one man's obedience, many are made righteous. Isn't that Man, that's good. Romans chapter 5. Welcome to Rogue Grace. Thank you for tuning in. Also, I like to write every few days on my website, peterjohncorson.com. Small little articles. It takes you about 20 seconds to read, but I hope it makes your day. As we look at Jesus, as we overcome sin through God's grace. So what I just read from Romans, as you heard, two words, where sin increased, grace does much more abound. That's why I like the ESV in this particular, the the King James, understandably, other versions say where sin abounds, grace abounds more, but that's fine. But those are two different words in the Greek language that are used for that which goes with sin and that which goes with grace. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more is a more accurate translation because it doesn't say in the original language where sin abounds, grace abounds more as though that's the same word. No, where sin increased, grace abounds. Literally, by the way, that word abound super abounds. So again, if you really want to read it as the original text would proclaim from the writing of Paul, again, as I said, where sin increases, grace superabounds. Where does grace superabound? Where there is sin. Where there is sin, grace superabounds. Pretty awesome. Now, does that mean grace superabounds because there is sin? No. Paul has to straighten that out as well. That's not what I'm saying, he says. But when you sin, when you fail, when you fall, 
that is when you are simply in the most undeserving state of God's favor. That is when you qualify for God's greatest favor. Not when you're perfect, not when you're abounding in holiness, but when where sin abounds. So the question is, what then do we do? Do we sin on purpose? Don't be foolish, Paul says. God will pour out his superabounding grace, but don't be a fool. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't overdose on heroin. Don't impregnate your girlfriend. On and on the list can go. (laughs) Just know, though, even in all of that nuts, craziness, mayhem, grace abounds even more. (laughs) I think it's the devil that would whisper in my ear or in your maybe subconsciousness. Don't take advantage of God's grace. But I would say, if you never take advantage of God's grace, how can you ever overcome sin? (laughs) I would tell you, if you're listening, if you want to take this statement and believe it, that grace is the anecdote to sin. That's the problem with preaching today, in my opinion. Just my opinion. We emphasize sin, 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 as though it's the greatest thing. We emphasize sin, but grace is greater than sin. So we are told by the Apostle Paul, where sin increases, grace abounds, super abounds. Where there's sin in my life, what I need is grace. If you see this, the moment you fail, you can say, I thank God that I'm abounding in his favor and his love. And that is a moment whereby you overcome that sin. Oh, my name. It ain't nothing My age, it means less The country I come from Is called the Midwest I start and brought up there The laws to abide And that the land that I live in Has God on its side Oh, the history books tell it They tell it so well The cavalry's charged The Indians fell The cavalry's charged 
Oh, the country was young With God on its side The Spanish-American War had its day And the Civil War too was Soon laid away And the names of the heroes Eyes made to memorize With guns in their hands And God on their side The First World War, boys It came and it went The reason for fighting I never did get But I learned to accept it Accept it with pride For you don't count the dead when God's on your side So there you go, little Bobby Dylan. I, I'm not sure exactly if that's the message that I preach here on Rogue Grace. But I'm sure there's something there to think about. Anyways, what I want to say about this segment is that sweat leads to anger. <laughs> that's what we see in the Old Testament you see, God wants his people, his priests, beginning with Aaron and his sons, to wear linen garments, we read there in the Exodus. He wanted them to wear materials that were cool. In so doing, as we read that, I can't help but think I'm to cease from striving. I'm to be still and know that he is God. I need to slow down and make sure I'm going with the flow of the spirit, not burning out, instead burning up. Like that bush in the desert that Moses encountered that burned not out, burned not even up, just on fire. So that even if I'm working outwardly very hard, even if I'm busy, that's fine as long as I'm not weary. And this has nothing to do with your chronological age because even the Bible says in Isaiah, the youth's strength, their backs grow weary. So what am I saying? The root word for healing in the Hebrew language. You know this? The root word when we read about healing? When we read Jehovah Rapha? 
the Lord who heals, the root of that word is, I like this, relax. I think about where Jesus beautifully said to take his yoke upon us. Remember that? For his burden is easy and light. I like that because um, from what I understand, I'm not a, an agricultural expert at all, particularly first century Middle East, but I have read that the older ox in the yoke of those two oxen together, the older ox is more experienced and does the guiding. So if you don't slow down as you're yoked to Jesus, you'll end up with a sore neck. (laughs) Don't sweat it is what he is saying. Sweat. Here's what I would say. If you look at, remember when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and God said that they would have to work, that Adam would have to work by the sweat of his brow. So he was working before the fall. He was working, but he wasn't sweating. That's what I need this today. Lord, and I'm not saying physically sweat. That's great. I mean, stressing. I'm talking about a picture now. Lord, I want to be working without sweating. Because sweat is human labor without God's blessing. It's not the sweat itself. It's what it represents. It came upon mankind as a result of the curse. So God says to his priests, I want you to wear linen. <laughs> linen turbans on your head. He wants them to be cool headed. See, you got to put that linen on your head that God is not angry or stressed. I'm putting that on right now as I say it, not literally. (laughs) I mean, spiritually speaking, because if God is always angry, if that's how you see him at you or uptight or on edge, then the result, in my opinion, is that you'll project this on your kids on your spouse, on your employees, on other people. God is not always angry. But Moses assumed that God was angry when Moses struck the rock. Remember that? God said, Moses, why did you strike the rock for water when I told you to speak to it? I'm not angry, Moses. Now in Isaiah chapter 54, that prophet, through the writings, through the preaching of Isaiah, God says, just as I swore to Noah, I swear to you, I will not be angry with you. See, that's putting on the linen the linen on your head like the priest, the linen on your body like the priest. God wants us to be cool-headed because he is not hot, angry at us. I'm talking to myself right now, by the way. Linen trousers from the waist to the knees they were to wear as well. 
from the waist to the knees. Be cool with your passion. Don't make your passion run you wild. Don't try to constantly in your passion satisfy or satiate some drive in order to establish yourself. So God says they must not wear anything that makes them sweat. Here's the thing I want you to consider about Adam and Eve. God, I want to suggest this to you for your thinking. God didn't curse Adam and Eve. I do not believe. In my opinion, as I read through the text and things that I've read from those that know these kinds of language, um, interesting tidbits, that God did not curse the man. The tree cursed the man. God cursed the serpent. God cursed the ground, but from my reading and from commentators that I've read in Genesis chapter 3, God did not curse Adam and Eve. He simply told them the consequence of a curse they were now under. The tree, if you would, cursed Adam and Eve, but not God. The reason I'm pointing that out One reason is that like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the law, which gives us the knowledge of good and evil, the law, by that I mean the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, gives me knowledge of good and evil, but like that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it makes me sweat. It brings about a curse. Not because there's anything wrong with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and certainly nothing wrong with the law of Moses or the Old Testament. But when I take from it in order to find righteousness, I find myself sweating bullets. So the law in the Garden of Eden manifested itself in the curse of sweat. And Moses, not Moses. Adam could have taken anything. God says, it's all yours except for this. You can eat freely. There's going to be no thorns. But when he took from the law, the knowledge of good and evil, now he was going to sweat. And many Christians like Adam are looking to be blessed through their knowledge of good and evil, through their work, through the law. And all it does is make them sweat. Hey, I want to tell you, Jesus Christ came, kept the law so that now we have no sweat. Oh
this Peter better yet Peter the apostle in Acts chapter 10 opened his mouth and said truly I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ 
you yourselves know what happened. Beginning from Galilee, how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one appointed by God to be judged of the living and the dead. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard his word. While Peter was speaking these words, what words? Your sin is forgiven. Then the Holy Spirit fell. And that word for fell literally means to embrace. The Holy Spirit embraces the preaching of of the gospel, the sharing of good news, and the proclaiming that your sins are forgiven. Not just forgiven, but the penalty is fulfilled. That's important. The inward witness in the Holy Spirit is the presence of peace where there was the absence of peace. Peace because you know that the sin has been forgiven. Whenever you try to put laws on yourself, you're only setting yourself up for failure. The harder people try, the more they want. Okay, for example, the harder people try to quit smoking, the more they want to smoke. People cannot stop smoking because they put laws on themselves. The more you're filled by the Holy Spirit, the less that you try in your own power. The law activates the flesh, but grace activates the spirit. If you want the power to obey or the power to overcome, When you put laws on yourself, you're setting yourself up for for failure. When you look at the finished work of Jesus Christ, even if it's ever so subtle or if it's an overnight success, either way, you are setting yourself up to succeed in keeping the law without your effort. That is, it's not based on your ability, but on Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. I got a great job, don't I? Every day preaching the power of the grace of Jesus Christ.
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? (laughs) Now remember, we have our chapters and our verses in Romans, which I just read, Romans 6, right? Verse 1. But when Paul wrote this, when the writers wrote their books of the Bible, there was no chapters and verses, no divisions. So that very famous chapter and verse I just read, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, is linked with, connected to, a part of the previous statement that he made. What is that? Where sin abounds, more accurately as I stated earlier, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. What he is saying is not continue on in sin. He is saying you have victory over sin, not because of your goodness, but because of God's grace. (laughs) The very area of your defeat can be the very greatest area of victory. Your strength can come from your weakness. Vice versa, by the way. Your weakness can come from your strength. I mean, look at Peter. Peter the Apostle. Not this Peter. Peter the Apostle. The same mouth that had denied he even knew Jesus proclaimed on the day of Pentecost Jesus is risen from the dead. The same mouth. In the area of preaching, the very area, the one who preached, the one who proclaimed, I don't know him, now says he is risen. Where is your area of weakness? When you fail, say, Father, I receive your superabounding grace. And in that very area of weakness or failure, God will show himself not only one that you can rely on, he will glorify himself in that very area. And that's why Paul makes this statement that's so strong. He preached it. He's quoting a critic that was saying about him, Paul's just saying, why don't you go out and sin that grace may abound? And so Paul is quoting one of his critics. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Okay? How can we continue in it? But 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 I want you to consider this for a moment. This is where grace, this is where rogue grace kicks in to Romans 6, where Paul says, By no means do you continue in sin where grace abounds. Let me tell you why. The answer to the critic of Paul or to any one of us that says you preach too much grace, which I have had my own share. (laughs) The answer is what Paul says. How shall we who have died to sin live therein? 
The answer is, how can we continue in that sin? We died. That means it's not a part of my life, my record, my being. Well, well, what if I just did it though, Pete, last night or two weeks ago? It's still not part of your record, your being, your life, because you died. Died is once and for all, never to repeat, be repeated. That's the tense it's spoken in, and that's the idea of the word. You may commit sin, but you do not live in it. So, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher in England, I don't know, 100-something years ago, 100 years ago, he said something. He said, how come today, just as Paul was accused of preaching the gospel of grace to the point where he was accused of saying wrong things, Lloyd-Jones said, how come today no one is accusing us of this? That's a great question. If Paul got accused, as I just read, of preaching, quote, too much grace, in which he comes back and says, no, I am not saying go ahead and sin. I'm saying you are dead to sin. And it's not just a matter of behavior or effort or discipline on your point. I mean, you are truly, how can you continue in something that you are dead once and for all to? You might even commit it, but you don't live in it powerful. So Lloyd-Jones is correct. If Paul was being accused of preaching, quote, too much grace, why am I not? Why are you, why are not Christians known? Yeah, they preach too much grace. Why? That's my question. I And I, I there's no answer that I can give that I find to be adequate defensible. I don't think it's defensible that Christians are not accused of preaching too much grace by the world, by critics. Oh, I have been, so I'm let off the hook. But have you been? I, I need to get to the point where like, Paul, I have to explain, no, we're not giving a green light we're not giving a free pass that is do whatever you want. No, what we're saying is when you realize the power and the depth of the grace of God, you don't even want to do those things. And even if you do want to do those things and you do those things, you are completely, totally justified as though you never had. Why don't preachers get accused of preaching too much grace anymore? That's my question. Maybe it's a not a valid one. Maybe you're thinking, no, they're always getting accused of that. Okay, just in my experiences I'm speaking of. Are we preaching the same gospel that Paul the Apostle preached, where he got criticized by the circumcision um, for preaching that he always had to be defending himself, even with the apostles for preaching grace. Here's what it was. 
When you were under the law, that is before you received the grace of God through Jesus Christ in your faith in him, even though you did right every once in a while, you were still in the wrong. You might have even done right every day. You might have done all kinds of right. You were still in the wrong because you were a sinner and so was I. But now, because you're in Jesus Christ, even when you do wrong every once in a while, you're still in the right. This is true for you. You're, that's, what, that's why Paul says in Romans, throughout this book, you are a prisoner of righteousness. Don't you love that? You're not a visitor of righteousness, a connoisseur of righteousness, a tourist of you are a prisoner of righteousness. This is the gospel. This is good news. Not enough of it is preached in my little opinion as I read through Romans and Galatians as it could be and should be, but I'm glad I not only get to preach it more important, way more importantly, I get to believe it and I need it. I hope you receive it as well. Thank you for tuning in. The Lord bless you. Check out uh, what I'm going to write later on, if you want, on Peter John Corson. Uh, also got this MP3 on there as well for today's program. Um, check out Searchlight at the noon hour and then a half an hour. So, 1230. John Corson bringing forth the Word of God. Great time to spend Wait, way to spend your lunch break, no doubt. Being fed not only with the food, but the bread of life through the word of God at 1230. Tomorrow night, we will be gathering for our Wednesday night Bible study in the book of Isaiah. Lord bless you.